Woi woi, woi woi, woi woi. Then it then go on the radio again. Yo, if you wanna smoke free weed, go board yourself. You need to go plant a seed. Go board yourself, make your knowledge increase. Go board yourself, go board yourself. All right, welcome to episode number 57 of Grow Bud Yourself. Thank you to DJ Jacques and Winstrong. We have a great show in store for you guys today. Uh, Mike and I have Jason Pinsky as our guest. He is an entrepreneur and content producer in the cannabis world. Uh, we have Strain of the Fortnite, a great grow tip, lots of Q&A, and tons of cultivation information for you cannabis growers out there. So stick around, episode 57 Brought to you by Excelsior Extracts, Sweetleaf Nutrients, and Rocket Seeds after these messages. Hey, you guys, I really want to thank our sponsors from Excelsior Extracts. These are great friends of the show, uh, great friends of mine for many years, incredible growers incredible people and they have made some incredible products as well including their thc infused pain rub and you know it works because you're talking about people who are real true cannabis medical patients that are making this just want to shout out outcast and and uh, toh check them out on instagram at excelsior extracts that's e-x-c-e-l-s-i-o-r E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S, Excelsior Extracts. DM them if you're interested in trying out that pain relief rub. Tell them Grow Bud Yourself sent you. And uh, yeah, man, thank you to uh, T and O from Excelsior for sponsoring the show and being just such great friends and supporters. All right, welcome back, and thank you as always to DJ Jacques and Win Strong. I am here. I am Danny Danko. This is Grow Bud Yourself. Mike G is my co-host and producer. Mike, how are you? Hello, I'm well. <laughs> cool. Well, it's episode fifty-seven. 57. Yeah. What do you That's got, right. man? I mean, uh, you know, the obvious is the ketchup Heinz fifty-seven sauce, right? Uh, that's the first thing I thought of, and, you know, I don't know. And we didn't dig much deeper. <laughs> but we have a great show for you guys. Our guest is Jason Pinsky. But before we get to him, uh, Mike, you have some items in the news you wanted to discuss? Yeah, man. I mean, you know, we like to keep everybody apprised of what's going on in, in the world of cannabis. Just, you know, like Dan said, big show today, lots of stuff to get to, but... Here's what's going on. Um, I like this. There's a new incentive plan to get people vaccinated for the coronavirus. Uh, and it's being called Joints for Jabs, which I also love. And basically, Washington State has okayed a plan to, quote, provide one joint to adult consumers who receive COVID-19 vaccination at an in-store vaccination clinic. And the program kicked off earlier this week, and it's going to run until July 12th. The Joints for Jabs name is actually official. This is through the control board there in Washington. So that's, a, that's their official name. But uh, the, the other name that was considered is Poke and Toke. So which do you like better? <laughs> wow. Uh, I think I like Joints for Jabs better than Poke and Toke. I think yeah. Poke and Toke invokes some kind of harm, and Joints for Jabs is... I don't know. Sounds a little cuter. I think poke and toke sounds dirty, but yeah. Um, the Joints yeah. for Jabs program in uh, in Washington is not the first uh, marijuana incentive plan for vaccinations. Uh, the Mint Cannabis Dispensary in Arizona had a similar idea. They offered a pre-roll and an edible to people who got vaccinated, and that plan was called Snacks for Vax. Okay. We had one here in New York as well. I think Dana mm -hmm. Beal and, and some of the... Uh, New York normal folks folks were involved in that. Um, so, yeah, yeah I mean, four twenty Washington D.C. had a joints for jabs, but but all of those were through activists or companies. The one in Washington is unique because uh, it's actually state sponsored, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I can dig it, man. Just very quickly, the other big stuff that's happening: uh, a new poll found that two thirds of Americans—that's sixty-six percent of Americans—. Uh, 
support decriminalizing all drugs, so that's exciting. And uh, also, we should probably maybe do a deeper dive on this in our next episode, but Connecticut is right on the verge of legalization. The Senate passed a legalization bill. It went to the House. Unfortunately, the legislative session ended before they were able to, to vote on it. However, they're going to vote on it in a special session, and that's going to happen according to lawmakers there by the end of the month. So based on the governor there, Ned Lamont's uh, stance on pot, he's going to sign a bill. So Connecticut could go legal by the end of the month. Yeah, I mean, that's great news. I just hope that the bill that they, that they end up with ends up being similar to the New York bill and different from some of the past uh, bills and even some of the stuff they've been proposing in Connecticut because uh, right now, you know, there's medical growers in Connecticut that have kind of hijacked a little bit of this bill. And, you know, I think it's very important that certain things are left intact, including home grow, social equity, consumption lounge, all the things that we got here uh they need there and if they don't get them i mean they're just gonna come here for that so it really only makes sense um to make sure that uh that those things are taken care of for the for the patients of connecticut for the growers of connecticut uh for the craft you know the connoisseurs the everyone i mean it just makes perfect sense and that's where it's going to end up anyway over the years you know even if you pass a, a a watered down law we're eventually going to change it into what we want so we might as well start with what we want uh and i think it's important that uh particularly connecticut you know i mean it's kind of sandwiched between massachusetts and new york and you know it's it's almost like a forgotten state in some ways and i think it's really important because there's a lot of agriculture there and if they can pull it off they could be one of the major major producers for the for the region and uh it really just depends on these politicians following through and and obviously activists making sure that uh it's not watered down so you know yeah and they have every incentive in the world to get this right because if they don't like you mentioned earlier their residents they could go to massachusetts new york new jersey they have lots of options if they want a longer drive they can go to maine uh so a lot of options here in the northeast suddenly and they really do have to get this right and it's a little interesting. I, I just get the feeling that the governor there, Ned Lamont, he desperately wants a tax and regulate cannabis program in Connecticut, but he just doesn't know how to do it. So it's very interesting to see what's happening in Connecticut. Yeah. I mean, lots of competing interests, but, you know, for us as cannabis connoisseurs and people who really care about the plant, uh, you know, those competing interests can compete all they want. But the important thing is that uh, they do it the right way and they're they're hopefully hopefully this delay is is leading them in that direction and um yeah i mean we hope for the best for connecticut and for the whole region uh so just uh, jumping quickly back to the other story though are are you among the uh the two-thirds of americans that support decriminalizing all drugs you know i am mike <laughs> indeed i am <laughs> i'm not a consumer of of uh, a lot of drugs you know i'm a really a plant-based guy i love uh cannabis the occasional uh psilocybin kind of situation uh, but i do believe that where there's demand there will be supply and i do believe that uh there's no you know there's no benefit from cutting that supply off it's never going to end and whoever fits that role uh will fit that role. And if they get pulled out of that role, someone else will fit it. You know, the game continues and the players change. And I think it's, it's very silly uh, to criminalize drug use at all. Uh, and so I, I, in the, in the immortal words of uh, one of the people that I love from, I think it was heavy metal parking lot. I'll just say legalize everything. Legalize everything. Indeed. I think uh, I think that's a good plan. I mean, you know, and that's legalizing things, not legalizing murders and you know oh, assaults yeah, and things. You know, no, just, we're, we're, we're talking, talking about, about substances. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so uh, that is a very brief look at what's happening in the world of cannabis. But uh, we also have a a great cultivation segment and an excellent interview coming up. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, without further ado. Uh, yeah, why don't we talk to our old pal Jason Pinsky, uh, who 
we met through high times and through uh, cannabis cups and through his uh, his entrepreneurship and uh, uh, connoisseurship and uh, restaurateurship and I guess other types of ships. But yeah, Jason is a jack of all trades uh, in the cannabis space, and I think uh, very illuminating. So why don't we, uh, without any further ado, get to the interview after these messages. Hey, you guys, want to tell you guys about a sponsor of ours, Rocket Seeds. Uh, Check them out at rocketseeds.com. They have a ton, I mean, over 500 different varieties of cannabis strains available. Uh, High-quality seeds, great genetics. Uh, They ship worldwide, which is very important. Uh, Reliable support. And they also ship for a variety of different seed banks. They've got feminized seeds, autoflowering seeds, regular seeds, uh, CBD seeds. A lot of people are looking for that. So check them out at rocketseeds.com or on Instagram, rocket underscore seeds. They are awesome and we are really happy to have them on as a sponsor. So check them out, blast off, and get your seeds from rocketseeds.com. All right, welcome back, and uh, we have a very special guest for you guys today. It is our old pal and friend, Jason Pinsky. Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, go bud yourself. How you doing? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> now, uh, um, for people who may not know, let's go. Let's uh, dig dig back into the history, and because uh, you have judged a, many many cannabis cups with us, uh, you have uh, started businesses and done a bunch of stuff. But why don't we go back uh, to the beginning? And uh, a young Jason Pinsky, how, how did you get involved in, you know, the cannabis space, the music space and, and all the things that we're, you're doing now? I think just like everybody, I, I probably smoked weed at my first dead show in the late 80s. Right. I mean, that's kind of like, you know, how a lot of us got our start. But, um, you know, music and weed were uh, were kind of uh, uh, two of the I say foundational points of what we refer to as the Pinsky Triangle, right? And it's, uh, you know, most of my career has been related to music or media content on one uh, dot. And then on the other bottom lot dot is uh, obviously, uh, you know, weed. And music and weed were my passions. But really, I made my career in, in technology. And, um, you know, kind of connecting the dots has been, um, I think, you know, kind of my journey, unplanned. Um, but, uh, you know, cannabis, uh, even though it was kind of like a passion for me, uh, kind of uh, uh, the triangle turned on access and it really became the primary uh, driver. So I don't know. I mean, I, I got into weed through music, but um, probably early on in, uh, I think it was 94, was probably my first Cannabis Cup competition in Amsterdam. And I think that was the first Cannabis Cup that was actually open to the public, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about the the six cannabis cups before that, before '94. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that, those were before my time as well. And I do, what I think year did right you now, get there? The first cup, I think, was '98, '98 uh, or '99. But that wasn't even with high times. I was still with Headcase Hemp Hats. I was a oh, exhibitor. that's right, that's right, that's <laughs> that right. Was the last year of the Pax Party House, I believe. Yeah, that was the, the that year was really great, man. We stayed at the Hotel Okura, and the Pax Party House was right down the block. But uh, a lot of great memories of uh, you know starting out that whole competition circuit. And you know, it's interesting. I, I I didn't come back to the cups, and when you and I really started hanging out a lot more was in. Uh, 2014, uh, literally 20 years later, I remember I judged every cup in every city culminating at, uh, you know, Amsterdam again, literally 20 years later. What a great, what a great experience that was, man. Back then, like we would go around to all the different coffee shops. We'd buy up all the different, you know, entries that they had. I'd go back to my hotel. I'd lay them all out on the table. Like, you know, the judging process uh, 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 really started back then. So when 20 years later, when we started judging cups, I don't know if you remember the story about how I became a judge, but, uh, back in 2014, I was one of the only guys doing closed loop blasting, like kind of, you know, in the New York area. And, um, I got reintroduced to you guys through Jen Bernstein, right? Jen and I have been seeing fish and music forever. And, uh, I remember, 
uh, having some uh, uh, sour diesel, uh, I guess it was shatter back at the time or whatever consistency we were making. And me and you and I guess Craig and Sean were all sitting in the back room of High Times. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I want to I heard about this judging and you guys are all laughing at me. You're like, yeah, we'll make you an edibles judge or whatever, you know. And, and I'm like, no, man, I want to judge concentrates. I almost got laughed out of the room because it was like, you're like, yeah, everyone wants to judge concentrates. And then I like took this like shit that I made and I I just slid it across the table. I was like, yeah, try this, you know. <laughs> and then like literally it was like I felt like the seas parted, you know, and I it was like, oh, please come. You you should enter. That was the that was the comment. You should enter into the cup. And it was like, no, dude, I'm not. I'm in New York. I'm not entering into the cup, but I will definitely <laughs> <laughs> I will definitely judge if you'll have me. And that was it, man. I just took all the same like, you know, uh, logic from 20 years ago and just applied it. So if you remember when I showed up to the judge's house in 2014, I brought like rigs for people and like, get like I, I came correct. And that was the beginning of like, you know, uh, uh, the next two years of just judging competitions. And I, I think Danny, the most important thing that came out of that uh, outside of meeting everybody and like, you know, all of the different like weed stuff, but you know, a big part of my story is coming off of opiates and, and having spine surgery uh, you know, I was on opiates. Uh, I was on Oxycontin for almost 15 years. I had spine surgery and um, having access to this medicine through my experience through judging literally was what gave me, you know, the the tools that I needed to wean myself off Oxycontin. So, I mean, that's really the silver lining of my experience judging cannabis cups was not as much, you know, meeting people and, you know, getting access to the best dabs and, you know, the travel. And it's like, you know, all that stuff came naturally. I mean, I've been on dead tour and fish tour. So going on weed tour with you guys was like, you know, kind of a no brainer. But what I didn't realize was that, you know, every couple of months getting access to this medication and then being able to use that to get off Oxycontin, I think that was really the biggest and, and, and most, uh, you know, important uh, part of that experience. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you hear that story over and over. People just don't realize how, how, what a role cannabis can play, uh, in helping people, uh, with that. But, uh, basically then you went on, uh, to become a producer at Vice for the show Bong Appetit. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think one of the things you're most known for is that big, uh, the, <laughs> the weed pantry. <laughs> Uh, yeah. which, you know, always was like the thing that everyone kind of ood and well, odd what happened at. With, what happened with Vice was, you know, interestingly enough, I was part of the coalition that helped to pass medical marijuana legislation in New York State in 2014, right? And it took us uh, a couple of years to actually, like, you know, go through the process. In 2016, the law was actually enacted, right? And there were a lot of meetups that you and I were going to, like High NY and all this stuff. And Vice was on the scene, right? Their daily Vice, their news crews were like covering the story in New York. And they were like, yeah, we want to talk to a patient, we want to talk to a doctor, we want to... So they had their own narrative in terms of what they wanted to do. And, um, and then I was like, no, 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 really the more interesting story is come with me to Albany. And... Um, you know, let's get chronic pain added as a qualifying condition to the New York regulations. And let's use my success story over the last couple of years as a driver for that. And um, that kind of started my relationship with Vice, where they were featuring me as a subject in one of their stories on the New York movement. And then, uh, you know, living in Williamsburg, uh, I own a, a partner at, at Feta Sow's top barbecue. It's around the block from the vice offices. So a lot of the guys knew me through food and through weed, right? Um, you know, Abdullah was like, you know, actually, you were the guy that introduced me to Abdullah Saeed. I should actually give you tribute right now, Danny Danko, right, for putting me onto Abdullah. And when I met Abdullah, I was like, oh, man, this kid lives in Brooklyn. And like, I know exactly how I'm going to get into this situation here. And I did it with a with a nug of sour. And I was like, here's some of my head stash and my number. Feel free to call me. And that was what happened. Like I was Abdullah's weed guy. <laughs> and, you know, and, and that kind of led to, to, to Bong Appetit. And they, you know, did an incredible job uh, on the, the web series for the first couple of seasons. And by the time we brought it to network television, uh, I don't know, man, we just didn't have any idea what we were doing. 
we came out to Cali and this is where the judging uh, cannabis cups really also helped me majorly because I had to like build a weed pantry like nobody had ever seen. And that was kind of like my intention was like I wanted it to be like uh, like Master Chef or like any of these cooking competition network shows where like the con- contestants run into the room and there's like every food ingredient and every you know piece of hardware. And I was like, I want to I want them to run into a room and be able to pull out any kind of weed product or any kind of tool. And when I first went in to meet with the guys' advice, they were like, you know, they were like, yeah, you got a thousand dollar budget per show. You can get a couple ounces, you know, I'm like, no, listen, we're not making weed butter like vice. You guys, the the whole purpose of what you guys stand for is like the bleeding edge, the cutting edge, like of like the next chapter, right, of really what this whole thing is about. And I started to bring out like, you know, I opened up a Pelican case and I brought out some Terps and I brought out some THC diamonds and like all this stuff. And it was like a chemistry set. And they looked at me like I had 12 heads and they were like, no, no, no. Listen, Pinsky, we're a cooking show. You know, this is way too scientific, way too labby. No one's ever going to get it now. I just sat there and I was like, yeah, okay." And they actually planned on having me uh, uh, produce from New York and maybe just like line some things up. But when I showed up in Cali, I started making all the phone calls. I started like the dude started showing up to the house with this is pre Prop 64. So things were a little more gray area. And dude started showing up to the house with like duffel bags worth of weed and turps and <laughs> rosins. And I mean, like literally there was, mm, uh, it was a very expensive uh, 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 prop set. And really the thing was, it was at the graciousness of all of these amazing uh, uh, cultivators and producers and processors. You know, we took donations for the entire show. And my pitch was like basically the same thing. Like, you know, you could spend your money as a company on some congressman and some lobbying bill to try to have some other dude push your agenda, or you can actually take your resources and put it on TV and and rewrite the narrative on cannabis to a global audience. And that's really what we did, man. Bong Appetit was like, you know, the first production that kind of bridged the gap, right, as, as cannabis from a, a different perspective. And it was a real privilege to have an opportunity to to work on that, you know, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it really did enlighten a ton of people as to, you know, what edibles could be, what, you know, what, how infused cannabis food could be rather than just, as you mentioned, like the can of butter, just throw it in, into something. You really had chefs on and specialties uh, that really, you know, definitely pushed the envelope and changed the game when it came to that. Um, now tell me about this this project, Operation Pipe Dreamers. Well, you know, it goes back to the Grateful Dead, man. Um, so you know, Jason Harris, aka Jerome Baker, right, longtime friend of mine, uh, Dead Tour, New York. I mean, like the whole thing, and uh, he's got his uh, his whole you know production in uh, Vegas is at the Dream Factory, and these guys crank out like some of the best glass bongs, right, on the planet. I mean, it's legendary stuff. And if you remember, I think it was like in uh, 2003, uh, you know, there was a big bust, right? The the federal government came in and, and busted Tommy Chong, and Tommy's partner was, you know, Jerome Baker Designs, and you know, it was a big problem for those guys. And to see the rebound, so that, that sting operation, was called Operation Pipe Dreams, right? And here we are, like, you know, almost 20 years later, and um, we're paying tribute to the entire pipe movement and to the glass art movement. And uh, we've created a show called Operation Pipe Dreamers. Uh, so it's 12 contestants, some of the best glass artists that you've seen, uh, all competing for a, a grand prize and a scholarship. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a really well put together. Think like maybe like uh, Forged in Fire, um, similar kind of format, but uh, with glass artists. So we recorded it uh, in January. We're in post-production right now, and it's coming to a screen near you sometime soon. That sounds amazing. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to that. If uh, you're going to do for the glass world what you did for uh, edibles, it'll be very interesting and enlightening. Um, now, there's another thing you're working on uh, involving ketamine. Is that correct? Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. If you would have asked me this like two years ago, I'd be like, hmm, what are you, what, what, what are you referring to? Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, it's interesting. The the cannabis movement really kind of uh, carved the path, right, for other, um, you know, uh, psychedelic uh, medicine, right? Uh, looking at, at cannabis as, as, as medicine or as a food product and being open-minded to that. And, you know, I think when it comes to weed or when it comes to psychedelics, a lot of it has to do with your intention, right? So if your intention is to get high, then yeah, you could, you could use these products and whatnot for that. But, um, you know, if your intention is, is something different, then there's ways to also do that by uh, your delivery and your dosing. For example, you know, I had smoked weed for 20 years, right, um, joints, and I was still on pain medicine and it didn't do anything to get me off the opiates. But when I changed to concentrates and changed my dosing uh, and my delivery, then that became therapeutic, right? So in the psychedelic space, um, we're seeing a lot of that. Um, a lot of people refer to microdosing or low dose. Uh, you know, when it comes to... Um, a lot of these products and the legislation, like uh, Oregon, for example, with psilocybin, it's legal, right? But you have to do it with a therapist. It has to be done in, and that's very similar to how the cannabis movement started, where you had to go to a doctor and you know get yourself a prescription for a medical card or whatever. So, company I'm working with is called Reconscious Medical, and uh, it's a ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. So you'd basically come onto a Zoom, you'd meet with a doctor, you'd get a prescription. They'd send you a lozenge uh, uh, in the mail, so you get your prescription. Keep, keep in mind, ketamine is already uh, FDA approved, right? So, uh, so the use for it, right, has been for different uses. But now, what they're doing in the labs is they're putting it into a like a almost like a sucking candy or a lozenge, right? And uh, and it's a very low dose. And the intention is, you meet with your doctor, you get your prescription, and then you sign up for like a series of sessions with a therapist. And every other one, uh, you know, the first one is like a regular session. The second one, you take the lozenge. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because in a lot of therapeutic uh, settings, they are especially like, you know, I, I, I had to experience this um, uh, being a, a, a pain patient. They don't want you using any substances. They're like, don't come to session high. Don't you, you know, now the whole philosophy is changing. Whereas by using some of these low dose medications, it kind of opens up, you know, the gateway to uh, an accelerated therapeutic experience. So uh, I think for me, what was the most interesting is the fact that they were doing this over Zoom, uh, similar to how, you know, the world has been over the last year. Um, for me, as a futurist, uh, I want to be able to take this um, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy and kind of move it into the next medium, which would be virtual reality. Right. So that's where I really see like, you know, uh, if you ask me, hey, Pence, what have you been working on? What have you been thinking about? It's kind of like, um, you know, if I could build my new office right on the corner where. Uh, psychedelic street and virtual reality avenue intersect <laughs> you know that would be for me there's a lot of people that are doing psychedelic stuff and there's a lot of people that are doing stuff with vr or ar or xr or whatever you know flavor you want uh it's the convergence of those two things that i think is going to be really interesting which is why i'm spending some time uh advising companies like that yeah wow so now there's an, a, a new angle to the triangle <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're <guess>. working <laughs> We're working with like a dodecahedron or something at this point. <laughs> well, actually, so it's a tetrahedron and the triangle is, uh, in my case, it's four point geometry, right? So, uh, uh, you know, if you think about it, music, tech and weed, but then there's the, the food angle. So how do you put those four points into a triangle? Well, you make it multidimensional, right? So in that, so, so in that case, it's like, uh, it's like Pink Floyd, right? Dark side of the moon. It's a prism. Right. right. And, um, and 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 when and when you are able to uh, take all these establish all these points on your triangle. Right. Like, Danny, you've got a, a Pinsky triangle. It might not be called that, but you've actually got one. Right. And when you can when you can connect the dots throughout all these different points in your life, that's when it really uh, has the potential to go fractal. And that's why it's okay that it's not necessarily like a fifth point. You know what it is? It's many triangles. Right. And if you think of like, you know, virtual reality or gaming, right, all these games and all these virtual environments, you know what they're made of? Fucking triangles, man, <laughs> you know, like wireframes and everything. So when 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 you really think about like, you know, the reality that we live in, 
um, and whatnot. And then the fact that that technology has gotten humanity to the point where we can create these virtual environments, um, it's really, um, you know, a, an interesting time to be thinking about, uh, you know, whether or not we're actually in a simulation or not. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, now, you're also working on this, on developing a master class. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Well, this is actually the really, I, I actually was going to call you about this as uh, we were putting this together to try to, to so this timing of, of us getting in touch. Uh, I got uh, asked, uh, Leaving Ease, uh, uh, which was, you know, cannabis on demand company, uh, through some of my uh, network there, I got introduced to a, a new startup in Oklahoma. And uh, they're a tech company called Oco. Uh, the website is at oco.co, oco.co. And basically what this is, is um, they're kind of like a tech platform that allows new cannabis uh, businesses to order workers on demand. So like if you think about like the weed farm, right, um, you you have people that may work there all the time, but then uh, seasonally or, or different weeks during the different phases of production, you're going to want to bring in people to help with different jobs on the, on the farm, right? Cloning, uh, defoliation, um, you know, uh, a harvest, trim, all these different things that you would bring in crews. So OCO developed technology to allow these farms to, or to basically pay like a subscription fee, and then they could just order workers on demand. And my role in that is making sure that these, uh, that this workforce is educated. So, um, you know, it's one thing to be a staffing agency, there's a lot of staffing agencies that are out there that are doing trim crews and all this type of support stuff for the industry, right? And then it's another thing to be a, a school. There's a lot of schools out there that are giving, uh, um, you know, certifications for different types of things within the industry. What made this interesting to me is that OCO is the first one that actually is like uh, bridging the gap between the education and employment. So think of the education as kind of like a, a tool like if you want to become like an Uber driver, you got to go get your driver's license, right? So this is like the same type of thing. If you want to become part of this workforce, you have to go through um, this basic certification course. And it's like, uh, you know, we're not teaching people or trying to teach people to be master growers. We're just giving them just enough information to be able to show up on the on the job site and have a basic knowledge of um, of how to do it. So that's been actually keeping me busy uh, for the last um, you know year or so, we just put out a, a retail course. So if you go to oco.co now, you can actually sign up for their retail course if you want to learn how to be a bud tender. And we're working on our cultivation curriculum uh, as we speak. Nice. Um, now, as a, uh, a New Yorker, I'm you know, relocated, I guess, out to Cali right now, but. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you've seen that, uh, you know, the law ch has changed out here and uh, things are happening quite rapidly. Uh, where do you see, you know, the cannabis industry, uh, let's say of New York and then just in general uh, going now, like in the future? What do you see? This has got to be a tough one for me, man, because like being such an instrument in creating legislation in New York in 2013 and 14 and then watching so many states flip right from medical to uh, recreational uh, adult use and then not being boots on the ground right we watch seattle uh, washington state and colorado and then arizona and then vegas and then all these different markets and then finally after it happened five times in 2017 i was like man i got to move out to cali like cali's about to go wreck and i am not going to miss this so spending the last three years out here and um you know leaving Bon Appetit and Vice and uh, uh, moving into Ease. And Ease was like such a great experience for me to actually like really not just be on the sidelines from New York, but actually really join the industry. And just as I got settled out here in Cali several years later, then boom, New York goes legal. And now I'm sitting here like, you know, you know, look, man, you know this. I'm account number 420 at Peter Luger's Steakhouse, okay? There is nothing that is more New York City and cannabis than that, okay? And here it is. So, yeah, in uh, addition to the current stuff that I'm working on, uh, do I have some coals in the fire in New York? Do I have intentions to uh, to make some sort of great return? Absolutely. Uh, am I moving back? Unclear. Uh, <laughs> however, uh, but really, like, you know, it would be a, a crime, right, for New York to, like, you know, 
uh, start up its adult use industry and for me not to be a part of it. So how that unfolds uh, right now, I will tell you this. Um, my phone definitely uh, is ringing off the hook with people that know me in New York who want to get into the weed business. So, you know, I'm, I'm currently consulting on a couple of projects. Let's say. <laughs> Perfect. Now, if people want to find out more about uh, you and the projects that you're working on, um, what's like the best place they can, they can go to learn more about uh, Jason Pinsky? Well, I'm kind of elusive in that sense. Like, you know, like I, I have my LinkedIn is probably like, you know, not really the best place to hit me. Um, you know, my email, man, I'm, I'm Jason at Pinsky.com, right? You could definitely uh, uh, hit me through that. Uh, more than that, uh, you could certainly give me a follow on Instagram, although social media is like it is what it is. But uh, I'm around. I'm available. I'm really stoked that the world is kind of uh, returning uh, to uh, some sense of normal as, uh, you know, all this stuff is happening and really stoked to start to see people in person again and start to feel like, uh, you know, we haven't been, you know, the way things have been for the last year. Awesome. Well, hey, man, thank you so much for uh, for being on the show. Uh, thanks for the update. Hopefully we can have you on uh, sometime again to uh, to expand on all of this because it all sounds very interesting. Thank you so much, Jason. And uh you know, keep us posted on uh, on everything. We'll be watching Operation Pipe Dreamers. When when is that uh, debut? It's uh, we're we're actually in post right now. I don't have an actual release date, but stay tuned. You'll be hearing a lot more about that in the future. Awesome, awesome, perfect. Well, thank you, Jason, uh, for being on the show, and we will be back with more Grow Bud Yourself after these messages. Hey guys, I want to tell you about Sweet Leaf Plant Nutrients. They have an incredible line of organic fertilizers, a brand new legacy line as well, which is organic and some synthetics. A lot of really incredible tools for the modern gardener. So check them out at sweetleaf.com, S-U-I-T-E-L-E-A-F. The code Danko15 gets you 15% off of everything that you can get at Sweet Leaf, which also includes uh, complete indoor hydroponic grow tent kits, uh, a bunch of different apparel and merch, and their signature line of amazing nutrients. If you join our Patreon, uh, you can get even more codes for 20 or even 25% off of Sweet Leaf newts and other products. I wanna thank them for being a sponsor, and as always, tell them that Grow Bud Yourself sent you. All right, welcome back, and thank you to Jason for that uh, illuminating guest spot here on the show, uh, longtime friend and uh, cohort Jason Pinsky. Yeah, man, I, I remember when uh, when he first got introduced to the uh, the High Times crew, and suddenly he was just everywhere. So yeah, he knows everybody. He's in everything. It's it's pretty amazing, <laughs> indeed. And we are now uh, in our amazing cultivation segment. And I believe it starts this week. You hear that sound? Do you hear it? <laughs> and yes, this is a fortnight. And yes, this is a fortnight. Strain of the, the fortnight. fortnight. What, you got for us, uh, what do you got for us this week? Strain of the fortnight. <laughs> Strain of the fortnight. All right, we'll turn it up. That's the stuff. All right. So, yeah, man, that begs the question, what is your strain of the Fortnite? Yes, well, it is brought to you by Rocket Seeds. Uh, Check out rocketseeds.com for a bunch, you know, hundreds and hundreds of different strains to choose from. But the strain that we chose for this week's strain of the Fortnite is lemon pie now this is regular i think it's you probably might you might be able to get it feminized from them as well um i like regular seeds i don't know to me uh, i just think that you know they just have more of that hybrid vigor Uh, but anyway the lemon pie is the strain and it's incredible this has like that haziness to it it has some lemonness to it similar to super lemon haze um, but also very different so this is a skunk number one crossed with amnesia haze uh and that's the genotype um that it's coming from 
And this is more of the sativa dominant phenotype that you get from these seeds. It's what I like. Um, the flowering time's a little long, um, 65 to 75 days, not um, excruciatingly long, but a little more than, you know, uh, you know, 60 day, 55 day strain, but well worth the wait. Uh, THC levels are about 20%, um, very stimulating, psychoactive, cerebral, all the things you want out of a great, like lemony, hazy sativa. Um, it's got that lemony, uh, taste and aroma, but with that kind of bittersweet haziness to it as well. Like some of that sandalwood that you get from the haze, which I love. I mean, I really think that's, um, that's something I really enjoy. And it also gives me the idea that, you know, I'm about to get hit with something more on the sativa side of things when I, when I taste that haze. And as far as growing the strain lemon pie, it's, it's pretty easy for people. And so, uh, it copes with moisture and plagues of the, uh, insecticidal type nature, uh, pretty well. Um, the effect is amazing. Like I said, very stimulating and euphoric. Uh, but you know, uh, very medicinal as well. Like if you want to stimulate your appetite level, um, combating nausea, for instance, in particular is, is something that you can get out of the lemon pie. Uh, and it's just a really good, amazing strain. Rocket seeds has it available. Uh, you can buy five seeds for 40 bucks, 10 seeds for 70 bucks and a 25 seed pack, uh, is only $140. So check them out. Uh, go to rocketseeds.com. The lemon pie is the strain of the Fortnite, and they have the regular marijuana seeds as well there. So if you want to grow it out and have a mother plant that you can take clones from time and time again, that's my recommendation for sure. Uh, and again, lemon pie from Rocket Seeds, an amazing strain, and our strain of the Fortnite for this week. And an excellent strain of the Fortnite. Uh, we are in the cultivation segment, and uh, as our listeners know, each week Dan likes to uh, provide a grow tip that will help you become a better grower. So what do you want to talk about this week? So we had a bit of a heat wave here in New York. It's been over 90 for the last four or five days, and that really brought to mind for me um, the idea of just beating the heat when you're a grower you're really at the mercy of the ambient temperature outside of your grow room more so than sometimes even what's going on inside because you have to deal with it. I mean, when temperatures are above 85 degrees outside, then, you know, obviously with grow lights and stuff in your room, that's going to be increased even higher. So you've got to do something. Uh, I know, you know, you're doing something for yourself. You've got air conditioning, cool, a cool drink, whatever it might be. You got to do the same thing for your plants because they're basically going to stop growing. And the other thing you need to worry about in heat is pests because they love heat. I mean, spider mites are ridiculous. Basically, like, you know, they love hot weather. Um, they reproduce quicker. I mean, they're practically born pregnant. Um, there's also issues with stress. I mean, obviously, hermaphrodization can happen um, due to high heat stress. Uh, all kinds of different blights and diseases, excessively hot conditions can cause these. So um, if it's too humid, too dry, uh, molds, fungi, bacteria, all kinds of problems arise. So it is really important to keep the temperatures below, I mean, I'd say below 80, you know, just because I, I don't usually typically add CO2 um, to the garden, but if you're adding cold, cool, cold CO2 gas, sometimes you can go to 82, 83, but if your temperature in your grow room is 85 or more, uh, you're really, you're really in trouble and you can't even really count those days as days that your plants are growing. I mean, they're basically just trying to survive a heat wave and that's what we're all trying to do. But when it comes to growing plants, it's just not a good idea. Another thing you can get is root and stem rot. Um, even worse so, obviously, in hydroponics uh, systems, because uh, if your reservoir, you know, if the nutrient solution in your reservoir gets too warm, I mean, that's it, you know, bacteria, fungus, uh, root rot, uh, any kind of warm conditions around your roots uh, are going to not only just not allow them to absorb any kind of oxygen, but just weaken them in general in a big way. Um, so this is going to obviously affect your quality and your yields, and it could even kill your plants. So what do you do? 
All right. Well, first off, obviously, air conditioning. If you have it, you know, utilize it. Make sure that, uh, you know, you keep things cold, colder than 85. You know, I would say, you know, 65 to 70 is like great. You know, anything under 75, between 65 and 75 is going to be fine as long as humidity is also, you know, in the proper levels. And air conditioning can, in some cases, really affect humidity, obviously. So, this also depends on where you live, okay? If, if it's a very dry and arid area, um, you know, you're going to need to add humidity and a humidifier. If it's a very humid area, you're going to possibly need to suck a little bit of that moisture out of the air with a dehumidifier. But that really has to do with, uh, with where you are and what the situation is. So you want to measure uh, temperature and humidity inside your grow room. You want to measure temperature at canopy level, right at leaf uh, leaf surface, and you know it it pays dividends to know what the temperature is outside and what the humidity is uh, in your ambient air that's coming into your room. Uh, the exchange of the air is important because you obviously you know there's odor being exchanged as well. If uh, if the AC is you know pointed out the building, that outside air could. Uh, could have some odor. So that's something you should consider as well. There's also water-cooled heat exchangers. Uh, these are kind of like grow room radiators. Uh, my friend Eric Bixa taught me a lot about this. Um, he grows up in Canada in a hydroponic way, but they get pretty warm. So, uh, you know, it's basically, uh, you know, water-cooled heat exchanger. It's a good solution, particularly in greenhouses. Uh, and particularly during during the hottest summer months. Um, water that circulates through the heat exchanger remains clean. You can use it after it comes out of the heat exchanger. Um, it's going to be warmer, uh, but uh, liquid cooling is a super efficient way to cool a larger space. So keep that in mind as well. And then fans obviously are important. You want to have exhaust fans that suck hot air out. You want to have those up high in your growing space because heat rises and you want to have uh, fans also pulling air into your space hopefully low hopefully cool air and also you know some circulation fans that just move the air around um, and keep that stuff now a good pro tip from eric bixa actually is that for every 700 cubic feet for, per minute of exhaust output uh, that your shutter style fans push you need one square foot of opening to ensure that that static pressure doesn't create excessive resistance to air movement. So, uh, you know, basically that just means letting in some air. Um, and then there's, you know, other ways to cool rooms, uh, basically less expensive systems that you can use. Uh, particularly when you purchase your lighting, you can have uh, air-cooled uh, light reflectors. So with HID lights, um, air cooling pulls the heat right off the lamp. Um, you can also switch over to something like an LED uh, or LEC, which is a, like a ceramic metal halide, uh, or HID lights uh, that are a lower wattage uh, and create less heat, uh, or fluorescence. You know, I mean, even if you just switch for veg or for your mother plants or whatever to some compact fluorescence, that could also reduce heat over time. Um, another thing is very important if you do have HID lighting fixtures that you use remote ballasts, which means uh, the ballast, you know, is in a different area than your grow room. Uh, and basically that the heat that's generated by the electronics are kept further away from your plants. Um, then there's also genetics that deals with heat better. Obviously sativas that are from uh, equatorial uh, regions are going to deal with heat, high heat and high humidity in a different way uh, than desert strains that come from, uh, you know, areas like Afghanistan or, or Egypt. So, uh, you know, something like, uh, Cambodian or Colombian is going to react very differently than something like uh, Afghan or Hindu Kush. Uh, they just that's that's where they come from. That's the humidity and the heat that they're used to dealing with, and that's what you need to incorporate into your heat management system, especially in very hot areas. 
Um, there's other things you can do as far as watering as well. Um, you know, you want to cut back on fertilizer when there's lots of water being uh, absorbed into the air and not into your plants because that really does uh, actually make the fertilizer that that's in that water more concentrated uh, and nutrients can build up and that, that could be toxic to your plants at a certain level. So keep that in mind. And uh, yeah, I mean, just it's so important to keep your grow room cool uh, during these hot times something that the plants can live in and enjoy and prosper and thrive in. And like, you know, that's basically what we love, which is, you know, 65 to 75 or so, uh, with a humidity varying between different rates of, uh, you know, levels of growth and different stages, but really never lower than 40 or never higher than 60. So between that 40 to 60% relative humidity range. And in that way, uh, you will have the environment, that's suitable for your plants. There's a lot of different things you can do to beat the heat, but uh, it is super important. So please uh, do your best to reduce heat and keep the humidity at the proper level and your plants will, will thank you for it and you will thank them when you consume them with heat. Hmm. I, w- I was wondering how you were gonna work your way out of that one. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just in. keep talking until you just run out of steam. Yeah, and running you know, out of steam I'm... is something you want to do. You know, you don't want to steam your plants alive, so. No. Okay, well, there you go. Beat the heat. Uh, Danko, uh, he got there. He delivered in the end. That was our grow tip for the week. And now it is time to answer some questions from our listeners. We love doing this. And if you are one of those listeners that has a question that you would like answered, you can get in touch with us. That is info at growbudyourself.com. Uh... Let's see, uh, we're already a little long here, so let's just jump right in. Let's do it. Excellent, all right. The first one is from Jamon? Jamon? Jamon. Hey guys, uh, love the podcast. I've been listening every day at work. I've learned a lot. Uh, I'm a new grower, so I've been trying to learn everything I can to grow better cannabis. My question is, I've heard Danny talk about using sugar leaves to make hash or edibles, but what about the stems of the plant? What do you do with those? I've used the leaves and stems in the past to make edibles, but I'm wondering if the stems were just watering down the potency of the final product. So so what do you think, Dan? Yeah, um, I use stems basically for like teas and things like that. I just boil them up uh, into a tea, add some kind of a fat source of some kind, um, you know, maybe a little butter, oil or something like that. Uh, and that, in that way, you can pull some of the cannabinoids out of the stems. Other than that, Uh, there's really not a ton of use for stems. I mean, composting, obviously, but that's not really a tremendous use, but they help in the compost for sure. Uh, And uh, yeah, I guess just tea in general. I wouldn't really do edibles um, just because, like you said, you might be kind of watering it down. There's not a ton of cannabinoids in stems, but uh, when you boil them down for tea, they actually, you know, they can be somewhat effective and tasty and you're gonna probably have to add some sugar to that as well or some type of sweetener but but you know i would say stems for tea all right stems for tea hope that helps you out there uh jamon and let's i like this one redneck kung fu writes uh hey dan what is the earliest part of the year i can leave my plants outside (laughs) i love the name redneck kung fu um so uh Mr. Kung Fu or Mr. Redneck or however you prefer. Um, The answer to your question really depends on the region uh, that you live in or zone. I mean, that's how kind of they're classified. Generally, plants can go outside after the threat of frost is gone. Uh, And in most places, that's around April or May. Uh, But obviously, if you're in colder regions or higher altitudes, that could even be June. Um, So you can extend the time your, your plants can be outside by using a greenhouse to trap heat. So if you do want to do it earlier, like we have friends upstate uh, in New York that are just putting their plants in right now for outdoor growing, um, just because they, they, they're they a little worried about the weather in the spring can be pretty rough. You can get some real bad uh, hail storms and things that can, can really hurt the plants even in uh, just a simple summertime rainstorm uh, or thunder shower. So, 
um, you know, April or May, you know, typically people say Mother's Day uh, to put plants outside. But again, it really depends on where you live. And if you're high up on a mountain or if you're way, you know, up in the north, uh, it can get cold at night in, in you know, May. So uh, June is a great time. Uh, but you don't want to plant too late because your plants will be too small. And so if you do have the option of using a greenhouse or hoop houses or something like that to extend the season or start the plants indoors uh, and then put them outside, um, that's what you can do. Just remember, if you do that, you want to slowly acclimate them to full sunlight. So rather than just putting them out into 16 hours of full sun straight from indoors or from even a greenhouse, uh, you want to put them outside for a few hours, uh, keep them in the sun and then maybe in the shade and little by little sort of acclimate them so they don't, uh, they're not hit with too much strong sunlight at once, which can burn them and would be a disaster. All right, there you go, uh, Mr. Redneck Kung Fu. Let's move over to Twitter where Keystone Cops writes, uh, I have a bit of pushback on your advice about setting up. Uh, you recommend buying a complete kit that includes a tent and matched lights, and while that's absolutely sensible, I see tons of new growers getting taken by Amazon vendors who sell 4x4 tents with an 80-watt light marketed as a 1,000-watt light. The vendors lie by saying we have 100 LED chips on a board, and each chip is rated for a max 10 watts, therefore it's, 1, watt, it's a 1,000-watt light. But if you look at the actual draw, they're running the LEDs at less than a watt each. On top of that, these are bottom bin diodes. Uh, I'd just remind listeners that, like you've said before, $500 is about the minimum you can spend for a small indoor setup. If a complete setup is less than that, it's probably too good to be true. Uh, also, as awful as cannabis forums can be, you can still see how gear works for people without participating. I find it's better to look at the results from grow journals than to go by Amazon reviews. So, so there you go, a little, little pushback from Keystone Cops. Yeah, absolutely. And that's interesting because we've been, you know, studying this for a long time. Uh, the advent of LED lighting um, has really, there, there's been an amazing uh, technological advances being made in LEDs, but there's also... Uh, a ton of scammers out there that are basically charging people a lot more money than uh, these lights are worth. So uh, I would say, you know, Keystone Cups is right on board with this. I probably should have mentioned this by telling people to buy these kits. Um, you know, it is very important what kind of light you get and that it be proper for the size of the tent as well. Um, so an 80 watt LED is certainly not going to be enough for a 4x4 tent. And um, in any case, definitely check out what's out there on the forums and get the light that's built for your tent. And if someone is selling you a full setup, like uh, as Keystone Cops mentioned, that's like very cheap, uh, then the light is probably the light should be the most expensive part of the kit. Basically, I mean, the tent and the light uh, are the two biggest expenses for the most part. And I would say the light is really the biggest. And at that point, uh, you know, everything else is is minimal light, uh, you know, fans and, and pots and things like that. So, uh, the light is very important and it really is going to determine, uh, what your, what your space is, is, is dealing with as far as heat and humidity and also how much actual light is getting to your plants and what your eventual yield will be. So very important to pick the right light. Indeed it is. Um, I guess we have time for one more. Uh, just very quickly before we get there, our friend on Patreon, A.W., wrote in to uh, to let you know that the problem he was having with uh, stressing his plants, which led to some herm hermaphrodites in the grow room, you, you solved it with your advice. It was a light leak, so he was able to fix that, and things are going well there. Yeah, it's interesting. In the letter, he mentions that the light leak was produced by the tent's zipper. Uh, which, you know, lets a little tiny amount of light in, but, but with some strains that could be enough, uh, to make them turn hermaphrodite. So he draped a towel over the zipper and it appears to have fixed the problem. And I think, uh, again, very important to go inside your growing space, turn off all your lighting and just make sure there isn't any ambient light, uh, making its way in there. Uh, very important 
you want full darkness 12 hours of uninterrupted darkness during the dark cycle of the flowering time of cannabis and anything that interrupts that is going to cause problems so thank you thank you thank you we we appreciate that uh but here's our last one for this uh for this week and it comes from michael and he writes hey man I'm looking to start a closet grow. I'm a beginner grower. I was hoping you could give me some tips as to what kind of setup I should use. Here are a few things I would like your opinion on. Hydro setup or soil? Grow box or grow tent? I can't have the smell leaking out of my closet. Uh, are there any strains uh, specific for indoor and or closet growing? And what should I expect to spend on a good setup? So what <laughs> advice do you have for Michael? Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot. To answer, I'm just going to go uh, point by point. Basically, my advice for beginners is start with soil. Uh, actually, more accurately, it's a soilless mix. Um, these are sold in bales or bags. Um, I would say three to five gallon pots are a good size um, for your plants. Uh, you're going to need to hand water those plants with nutrient solution. Um, soil growing is, is more forgiving. Uh, I would say go with a grow tent if you if your budget doesn't allow uh, for a grow box. Uh, one of the cool things about the boxes, everything's automated. With a tent, you know you got to do some of the work yourself, but they're much cheaper and they're very easy to set up and take down. Um, no hassles as far as shipping goes and big pallets showing up at your house or whatever. Uh, a tent comes in a box, you set it up yourself. A box. A grow box comes, you know, on a pallet, on a truck, and, you know, all your neighbors see it getting wheeled into your house. So, um, as far as that, you know, uh, we talked about lighting earlier. Make sure you have activated charcoal can filtration um, and fans inside your tent and all of that. For strains, you know, start with an indica-dominant hybrid, something that's not going to stretch or take a long time to flower. Uh and you, your budget should be under two grand, you know, $2,000 or so uh, for everything. And I would say, you know, if you really want to pinch pennies, you could probably get that under a thousand. Uh, but there are certain things you absolutely have to do. So keep in mind uh, the tent, the light, the fans, uh, the containers that your plants are going to go into and how you're going to control the environment inside there, the temperature and the humidity. And those are really the, the big, you know, the big uh, asks when it comes to growing and then everything else is, is more minor. All right, there you go. Thank you, Michael. Hope that helps. Thanks to everybody who wrote in this week. We appreciate it. Uh, if you have a question that you would like answered on the show, get in touch with us. Send us an email. That is info at growbudyourself.com. Uh, we're going to take a little break, then come back and put a bow on this one. Let's do it. All right. Welcome back. Episode 57. Uh, a great episode. I think uh, very well-rounded. We had our friend Jason come in and talk a lot about uh, what he's been up to. Uh, we talked a little bit about some legal stuff off the top. Uh, we talked cultivation. I know you guys love the grow stuff. Um, keep those questions coming, you guys. We love uh, getting grow Q&A or getting Qs and providing As uh, from you guys. So anywhere you want to do it, uh, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, Patreon, YouTube. It feels like there's a lot of different places to do it. But uh, ask the questions and we'll, uh, we'll do our best to answer I uh, want to thank our sponsors, uh, Sweet Leaf Nutrients. You can use the code uh, DANKO15 for 15% off everything at sweetleaf.com. That's S-U-I-T-E-L-E-A-F.com. And they have grow tents. They have uh, tons of great nutrients and supplements and uh, a lot of cool stuff there. You can get even bigger codes from them. Uh, 20% or 25% off if you join our Patreon page. So please do support us on Patreon uh, at patreon.com slash Danny Danko. I uh, want to thank Rocket Seeds. Um, they've been amazing as a sponsor and uh, uh, great customer service and an incredible selection of seeds to choose from. So check them out at rocketseeds.com. And uh, Excelsior Extracts, the pain relief rub, uh, Tommy and Elaine are amazing people and uh, 
We love them both, and we're pulling for Elaine in her struggles, but you can always check them out on Instagram at Excelsior Extracts. Uh, ask them about the pain relief rub. It's THC-infused, and it works really well uh, by patients for patients. Um, thanks to you guys, the Patreon supporters, the YouTube subscribers, everyone that uh, supports the show. You guys keep us uh, running, keep us happy, keep us high, and uh, keep us doing this thing. So it's exciting, and uh, we love to see it grow. We've got merch now. Uh, you can check it out on the Facebook page, I think. But we're trying to get merch out there for you guys. We've got uh, coffee mugs and water bottles and all kinds of cool stuff, uh, T-shirts and more. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's about it. Mike, do you have any uh, anything to add to the wrap? I do not. All right, well, why don't we call, call it nine innings uh, and put it in the books? 